till I get my money right. I had a dream I could buy my way to heaven. When I woke, I spent that on a necklace. I told God I'll be back in a second. Man, it's so hard not to act reckless. To whom much is given, much is tested. Get arrested, guess until he get the message. I feel the pressure under more scrutiny. And what I do, act more stupidly. Welcome to Not Pouring Founders. My name's Packy McCormick. I'm your host. And I'm here today with the first anonymous guest that we've had on Not Boring Founders yet. He goes by Medici. Medici, thanks so much for being here. I guess the best place to start would just be how you got into the wonderful world, wonderful world of Web3 as an anonymous kind of persona in the whole space and then what you're building. Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. So my journey with Web3 really started about a year ago now so like the beginning of of january one of my best friends basically told me hey you got to check out these things nba top shot nfts i was i'm like a huge basketball fan and so of course i fell in love with them right away and then before but i wanted to buy one and before i bought it i was like okay i got to know what these things are and so i started looking up what's an nft and so i read like the uh open has like this crazy like this open bible so i read that and that just kind of led me down a few rabbit holes and i was like oh wow nfts are cool and i actually ended up buying a top shot with my friend like we split but what really blew me away was like just the world of like crypto and blockchain technology that that was out there at the time and so i got really interested in it and i started reading these things that were called like the 10 foundational papers starting with the digital signatures and moving all the way through the bitcoin white paper lightning network and all that and in reading that it just it just really, really, really blew me away the way that in this space, we have perfect combination of these four different areas, let's say, which is like math and computer science in the form of cryptography and creating these smart contracts and everything. And But then there's also economics and psychology in the form of actually creating these economic incentives to have people actually use them and psychology to stop people from gaming them. And so, I mean, those are like four of my favorite things about the world and and just to have something which just ties them all together and allows you to pick and choose what you enjoy about them and kind of go pretty deep in those it, it like i fell in love with it right away and so i just kind of started learning about it pretty deeply i got i would say kind of obsessed with it and then that led me to okay i know this stuff but i want like i want to actually now build and so i started learning how to code and i spent like a few months kind of learning pretty intensely how to how to work with Solidity. And, and when you say, sorry to interrupt, but when you say you learned how to code, did you know how to code and you just learned Solidity or you just learned to code from scratch? I basically just learned to code from scratch. I've like taken like half a class in like the school that I was at. And, but I didn't, I didn't like finish the class. And then I just looked up, okay, what do I need to know to code in this? So I needed to know some Python, C++. I knew a little bit of C++. And then I needed to learn JavaScript. So I learned those and then I started and then I started on Solidity. And then getting into that, it just kind of opened a lot of doors because once you know how to build and there's a very steep learning curve. So it's like you get to some point where it's like starts off super easy, like, oh, this is this isn't that hard. And then you get to a learning curve where it's like, okay, now it's time to like link contracts and all that stuff. And you're not that's not even honestly the hard part. Like it's just it's just like, once you get to that point, it's like, all right, you got to just power through this. And then 
once you get over the hump, it's like becomes a whole new world because not only can you think about things and understand things, but you actually know how to build them yourself now. And it's like adding like a third dimension to your understanding and your participation in this crypto world, which was like an enlightenment for me. How long did that take kind of start to finish? So day one, I want to learn how to code and do it in Solidity. And then day X was I can build a company. Yeah, I mean, so funny enough, I started learning probably a month before I started on Abacus. And and I was actually talking to someone the other day and they're like, you know, I was like, wow, it's you know pretty cool because I have like this screenshot or I have a note from July 1st of this year, which was like the original, I guess you could call it like blueprint of, of what Abacus is. It's like 10 lines and it's just like a super, super basic thing of what the idea of Abacus started out as. And that's from July 1st. And I realized I started coding on like in the beginning of June. So I was talking to someone and they were like, why did it take so long to build it? Because like now it's out and it's launched. And I was like, because I was learning how to build it while I was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> what were what were you studying before? So of those four things, you said math, computer science, economics, psychology. Did you have at least one of those before you started doing this? Uh, not really, to be honest. <laughs> um, I like grew up with like a very, with like a strong interest in math. And I was usually pretty like solid with kind of dealing with things that that involve math but i wouldn't say by any means like i was an expert in it you know i studied something that was completely unrelated in college and so it just happened to be that like you know i've i've always said that i that i was interested in math but i never knew why and then you know this kind of fit the perfect was like a perfect puzzle piece which was that you don't need to know. I mean, you do if you want to go deeper in. And I've seen that like I was just reading this like it's honestly a super cool paper about understanding ZK snarks. And it does it from like the mathematical standpoint. And it took me a little while to read like I had to read it over like five or 10 times. But like now I finally got it. And that's a little a little deeper in. But the nice part is that like you can apply some understanding of math or just some analytical frame to these things and, and you'll be good to go. Right. And if you if you go deeper in math, right, there's things for you. If you're not deeper, if you're in a more shallow area of it, there's things for you there, too. And there's plenty to, to spend your time on. That's like that's, you know, what's so cool about it all. Yeah, I think we probably approach zero knowledge in different ways where I was like, all right, just give me that cave metaphor and I will <laughs> I'll try to figure it out and, and explain it in an easy way. I did not get into the into the formulas. But to your point, you can go as deep as you want. And there's some of the smartest people in the world who have been working in cryptography are now incentivized to jump into this space and solve these really hard problems that have been unsolved for a long time. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, the more, the more incredible minds that we get in, right, the faster we move forward. And so, you know, seeing those things and seeing the way things progress, even just like, you know, I, don't, I honestly don't really watch the news, but like, when I when I see on Twitter, like in our discord, someone was talking about how like this Congress hearing, they're like, you know, I'm super bullish. And, and I was like, why? And it wasn't like, oh, they were saying like, we love crypto, we love crypto. But it was just like, it seems like they have more of an understanding. And that was awesome. Yeah, I think that's, that's really it feels like it's happened almost even in the past three or so months that it feels a little bit friendlier. I always like to think about just this global game that countries are playing against each other where they have to kind of balance 
you know, protecting themselves and them citizens, their citizens, but also not push away all of this innovation and activity to different places. And so it's this huge geopolitical battle playing out to kind of regulate crypto in a way that makes sense for the country. And it seems like the U.S. is kind of coming around. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, when I was getting into it, I, so when I was kind of my first seven months in crypto, I, I knew like nobody in this world, like not a single person, like I was still saying, I was still calling DAOs, DAOs, you know, the only people I could tell what I was thinking about too, was like my parents. Like I, when I say I knew nobody in this space, like not a single person. And so then when I finally started meeting people in it, you know, like the first person I was talking to, it was so like, it was so nice to see because I've had this idea the whole time. And I thought like I was just crazy, but like, this must be what it felt like in the 80s and the early 90s when the internet was booming, right? This must have been that. And then when I was talking to someone about it, they had the same thing to say. And like, they've been in it for much longer than I have, but like just talking to them and having them also be seeing that it was, it was like a really cool, a really cool feeling. And it feels like that that's what's going on now. I wanna to get to advocates in a second, but I think for people listening, who are thinking about getting into Web3 and thinking about going down the rabbit hole, it'd be really instructive for you just to talk a little bit more about how you worked your way into the community. Now you've gone from knowing nobody except your parents a few months ago to having you know a cap table on the project of some of the, you know, the coolest people in the space. How'd you do that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I this is also kind of part of why I decided to go like Anon and everything, but I think this space, at least this is what I've experienced, is one that values contribution over reputation, right? It's one like, for example, you can join a DAO and, you know, if you don't have a reputation, you could be some new dev who just has worked really hard. If you can show them who you are in terms of like, you just show them how you can contribute they'll respect you and they'll give you the resources to continue to grow. And I think in getting into this space, you know, I was lucky enough to have come in super prepared and then have known people who kind of, or have met people who were able to point me in the right direction that after doing so, like I, there was not a single person that was against, you know, at least just getting on a call or replying to a DM. And I think like so cool. in doing that, I just got a lot more comfortable <clears throat> talking to like, you know, I guess you can call them more, more quote unquote famous people without actually like, you know, without honestly, without even looking for anything from them. Right. It was just like, oh yeah, I'd love to meet this person. Like this person's super interesting. I see their tweets or whatever it is. And I'd love to talk to them. Right. Like, for example, with you, you know, I, I read your stuff and I was like, yeah, I'd love to talk to him. Right. And so just like the beauty of this is like you don't ever have to look at someone like they're above you in this world ever. And so Agreed. just like for me, it was just taking that attitude and not being afraid to just like say what I think. You know, I believe in what I prepared. I believe in what I've learned. And so I think a lot of people appreciated that. And when they see that, they're more open to connecting you with others. And, and so I think that's kind of how I went about it. It's, it's so instructive, I think, for people trying to get into space, because it's not that you can just change your profile picture to an NFT 
and then show up and reach out to anybody without anything to add. But you clearly did the work. You taught yourself solidity from scratch in a few months. You read the 10 foundational papers, which if you haven't tweeted them, if you have tweeted them, I'll link them. If not, send them to me and I'll, I'll list them for people because I think that's a great resource. And then once you've kind of done that work and once you actually have something to, to add, all the doors are open, but you can't just come in and say like, all right, let me take from you. Can you pump my bags? Can you like promote yeah. this thing? It's about doing the work and then trying to contribute and add value first. Exactly. And, and you know, like, actually it was funny because the other day, like I, I have this thing that I want to start with a wallet from zero and a completely anonymous account and see how far I can get. Like through just getting paid through like contributing different places and whatever else. So I made this account and like, I just kind of, I started DMing people who need like, who need help with certain things. Like, Hey, I'd love to help you. And like, they ask, Oh, do you have any previous res like things that you've done or like any, any contracts that you've, that you've uh, deployed. And I simply, I was like, no, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, I just can't tell you. But the cool thing was that they're like, they were so cool with it. Like, it was like, all right, just DM me on Discord and we'll we'll keep moving forward. Like, we'll figure out a way to kind of see what you can do. And that was awesome. So it's like, just come prepared, show that you can contribute, and you'll get wherever you need to go. And yeah, I'll, I'll send you those those papers too. So where where are you going? I guess this is a good time to, to talk about Abacus. So you, again, in July had this idea. Now it's already live and appraising tons of ETH worth of NFTs. What is Abacus? Yeah, I mean, Abacus is the simple uh, answer is that it's just, you know, it's an NFT appraisal system. We, we kind of, we just leverage a permissionless entry, I guess, contest, which basically aligns everyone, anyone who votes, they don't know what anyone else is voting at. And we do that through using a commit reveal scheme. And so if you're voting and you're trying to make some money, your best bet is to vote at what you think everyone else is going to vote at. But you don't know who else is voting. So then in that case, your best bet is to anchor it to the same anchor that they all have, which is the market value of it. And then in doing that, what happens is now you have a bunch of people who are just submitting what they think the market value is of some NFT. And the output is what actually is the perceived market value. And you can argue, I mean, this is something I've been thinking about because now that we actually have appraisals coming out, right? We appraised this X copy and we got like a really, really cool result, right? We got within 5% of it. But then we appraised, for example, we appraised this Olympus die piece yesterday and we put out an appraisal, it was like 24 and a half ETH. But the question becomes when you have a one of one that's so unique like that and it's not likely to be sold at the time, Right. How do you determine what the accuracy of that was? With the X copy, it was super easy because like a day later, the, the winning bid was within 5%. So it becomes, how do you determine that? And my answer is, is that you're not determining what the accuracy is. That is just the price. Right. If, if that's the only thing and you just had 40 or 50 people say, this is what I think it's worth. And we got that value from them. It seems like that should just be the price. And so that's the goal. So walk me through end to end, we can use the X copy as an example, exactly how that goes. Somebody, does the owner reach out to you? You negotiate putting it up for now. I'm sure it will be more open over time. Those protections in place, you know, we, we don't have to limit it to anyone, right? Anyone can come and appraise. 
so starting with another another why here why would someone get their nft appraised like what are the use cases today and then we can kind of get into what the future looks like as this market grows yeah i mean so the use cases as of right now is like let's say you have a one of one nft or let's say you have really any nft so we we you know one of the first ones that we valued was an ape then we valued an X copy, and then we just finished valuing the Olympus die, which was like an extreme one of one. You know, if you just want to know the value of your NFT right now, maybe you're not thinking of selling it, but you want to have a general, you know, a sense of your portfolio value. And so in this stage where we're doing one at a time, you may not get, you know, you may not be able to turn around and get a loan on that valuation either one, because, because there aren't systems that will give you that loan. Although we kind of just, did come in contact with some that may, but you know, there aren't systems out there yet that will give you that those loans at scale. And so because of that, the major use cases, I just want to get a value on my NFT, right? I want to know what my portfolio is worth, especially now, you know, when there's kind of rocky markets, it's like, I want to, I want to just know what my things are worth. And so that's the, that's the use case right now. I think as we move forward, you know, in terms of growth and, and really like adoption and, and what we're planning on building in the future, the these things will become a lot more, you know, the end goal is that is that any any NFT lending system, any system that requires NFT as collateral, really any form of derivative is kind of just based on these valuations. And the cool thing is that like right now we have this like commit reveal scheme. So yeah, it takes another 24 hours after the, the voting is done to to get your appraisal but what happens when we go on starknet is that you can basically once voting is finished it's so cheap to carry out these other computations and you no longer need to submit your appraisal as a hash because we can take advantage of zero knowledge proof technology that you just submit your appraisal as a straight appraisal and then once the voting is over one person comes and clicks a button and the everything is weighed final appraisal is set everything is harvested and and your profits or principal stakes are sent back in one shot can you define and tell us what starknet is for those who aren't familiar yeah so starknet's this new it's like i think starknet's i guess a network which is basically that and z and zk sync are both like the the front runners for kind of bringing zero knowledge proof to be to some programmable level. And so Starknet is doing that with this language called Cairo. I think ZK Sync is doing it with Zinc, right? And so, so yeah, so that's what Starknet is. And so it's basically because they use zero knowledge proofs, it's a lot, a lot, a lot cheaper to submit transactions. And you can do a lot, like you can do computations that are unimaginable on, let's say an L1 or even really any L2 right now on, on uh, Starknet. Like I think someone actually executed some form of a neural net on Stark, which is like nuts. And so if you could do that, like, you know, I'm sure you can end a session in one click. That is wild. Yeah. How'd you choose just to get like deeper into the weeds here? How'd you choose between ZK Sync and Starknet? So that was purely just because the person that's joining is very, very, very strong in Starknet or like in, in Cairo. But also I think, I think Starknet has a little bit of a leg up because they have a language for it now. And so it's, if you, I mean, it's hard, pretty hard. Like I tried learning how to, you know, I tried learning Cairo on my free time. However, like I just don't have much free time these days. And it's like the environment's pretty difficult and it's like kind of clear that you need a little more guidance to get it or just a little more, um, 
experience to start getting into it and obviously more time zk sync i haven't looked much into to be honest it was more like just like a default choice because we had you know this this new guy joining but i think i think zk sync is is coming out with like a solidity compatible or is coming out with the ability to to work with solidity and we've been in contact with their with their team too and i'm honestly just i'm very excited that that it's not just one you know massive network that's coming out with these zero knowledge proofs and rather that it's two of them i think to like to have that at the start is honestly pretty rare in any industry where it's like you have two people who are pretty viable options that are coming out with the similar with the similar revolutionary technology and so you know we will start on starknet and i think that'll go fine because i i'm pretty sure that they're you know that they have very strong things already there and and very very strong things coming but yeah i mean it was more just like a default choice there so coming back to the coming back to the appraisals for the X copy. So a, a few questions here. I'll, I'll start with the simplest one first, which is because nobody knows what anybody else is appraising at. When you look at the distribution or, or after the fact, are you able to see? Yeah. So we have this thing, which is that once voting is over, you can there's like a ranking tab and you can see everyone's vote. So as they're as they're weighing their vote, you can see what everyone voted at. So how wide was that distribution? It, the minimum was like 250. The max was 1,522. Whoa. And how many people voted? Only 18. That's the crazy thing. Yeah. That's that's wild. And so it ended up at 356.95, right? Yep. <laughs> and if you had just taken an average of those votes, have you done that? What would it have ended up at? I haven't done that, but it would likely have ended up like probably above 400. And that's because I think, yeah, that's because a lot of our votes were like, above 500 or but or like you know just one vote that's 1522 just moves that thing in a very in a very different direction so that makes sense and then i guess the second question on it is the idea of kind of like the reflexivity of the appraisal which is you know you came within five percent but is that because you had appraised it you know the day before and so the people who are bidding the next day knew what this the nft had been appraised at how, how much of a link do you think there were between those those yeah, two so, results I, mean, I, I actually would hope that that was the case i mean so we had one of our community members tweet out to starry night and pranksy yo check out this appraisal this is what we just appraised it at but the thing is i so i don't know how motivated they were to win it and so i don't know if they would have just like blown through that had it needed them had they needed but i don't know i mean I, I would like to think that there was a link there that it was like kind of the upper bound for what they were willing to spend but i, I don't know if that's giving ourselves too much credit at this point but but either way i mean i think that's just like um the truth is I, I think i don't i don't know if there was a link there but i think that is something that could be something in the future which is which is used as a link for example someone reached out to us afterward and they like uh you know kind of a prominent collector and they know a lot of up-and-coming artists and they said it would be so cool if someone can use this for you know let's say someone was auctioning off a one of one piece they can run an advocate session on it first they get an appraisal and then they put that appraisal out as a reference during the auction and you know i think that that is just like an outcome that came from this which would be like really really cool right that you kind of have just a reference point as a new artist who has no idea or even if you even if you're just deciding to auction it right you can run it through an abacus and check what the value is and maybe you don't want that right now right maybe you you want to wait later till your name is bigger whatever else will add the value to these things before actually putting this out there and so i think 
that kind of just introduces another another use case in terms of how Abacus can be used actually, you know, right right at this right at this point right now. So what are you looking at then? You know, if you're if you're an appraiser coming in and it's a brand new artist dropping a one of one, they haven't released anything before, what are the factors that influence this? I guess you don't have to figure that out. It's the crowd that kind of decides it, but you know, your your best guess is as to what influences kind of a fresh appraisal. Yeah, I mean I think so one thing would would definitely be I mean if it's a completely new artist I would assume that that people maybe would look at things that are similar or things that like very new artists have looked at I mean there's always some reference point about an artist right it's very very rare that someone just comes completely out of nowhere and you know drops their first NFT and you know people have to just kind of look at that face value like if you look at a lot of these collections they'll like let's say build up some Twitter following first or do some sort of some sort of initial marketing. And so I think if, if all else fails, right, you can, you can look at, at things like that, which is that you can look at maybe a discord or you can look at a Twitter, but not only just look at the Twitter, but look at like, look at like, you know, what the interaction level is, because I, I found this with building this, this abacus community. And there's a difference between having an amount of people in your community and really, really, really having a community. Like, you know, I'd like to say that we have an incredible one and I, I think we really do have an incredible one. And I think that is something that is not like, it's not, it's really not difficult to see. Once you know what it looks like, it's not difficult to see. And so I think it's about, okay, if this is a new person, but maybe they've done some sort of, you know, marketing, Go out, look what look what that is, whether that's in Twitter, whether that's in Telegram, whether that's in Discord or any other thing that they have, how strong is their core community? And then based on that, you have that. And then and then honestly, it's just, okay, maybe this is a super new person. They've never put anything out. What do I think of it? Right? If I had some sort some amount of money, what do I as a buyer, right? Get in the head of a buyer, what do I think of the value of this? Because if there's no other reference point, that's the best you got. Yeah, there's a fun kind of even game theory thinking about who else might be appraising and how deep they're going. Like, are, are there enough sophisticated people who are going to be digging into the discords and seeing, you know, who they've engaged with on Twitter and all of that? Or are people going to look at it and say, like, I don't know, this looks like a nice piece, three ETH. So you have to think about even who the other appraisers might be and how sophisticated they are. I'm sure over time that with a bigger group of appraisers, that becomes less important. But certainly in the beginning, it's, you know, if there's 18 other people, how many of them have actually done the work and how many of them are doing this because it's fun? Yeah, I mean, well, so something interesting also is that in the in the Discord, there's an NFT lore channel in which people kind of do the work for you. So, for example, this was actually kind of crazy. With that, and with that Olympus die thing that we appraised, it was like 24.47. Someone, and I'm going to give him, I'm going to just say his Discord name if that's okay. His yep. name is Small Time. Before the NFT was appraised, during the voting time, he went and did some crazy u unicorn analysis <laughs> in which he basically looked at, he looked at the Uniswap NFT, X times Y equals K, compared that to their market value at the time and what it sold for, <laughs> and then did that and then took that ratio and applied it to Olympus and said, this thing is worth 25 ETH. No way. And then he, he ended up voting at a different number. But he that's but like that was like 
after the fact we were like what the like that was crazy to see and like so you have things like that going on in this discord in which like you just have people like for example one of the first things that we appraised unfortunately like it got cut short because it was still in the initial stages of this contract and everything but we one of the first things we appraised was this thing called like uh it was like a forgot forgotten runes grim reaper and like we had a bunch of people from this forgotten runes community who are like deep in it who are also now like core members of our of our community they came in and they posted these long posts about what is forgotten runes what is the grim reaper to forgotten runes what's the origin of it you know what is the comparison what are other things that have sold at the same value and these are like big holders in forgotten runes and so I, I honestly, before that, I never heard of it. And now, like, I, I know a solid amount about it because they provided all this information. And not only did they provide information, but they even went a step further in providing the sources of it. Right. So they actually went further and saying, and if you want to read more, here's this, this, this and this. Go read it. And it was like it was like amazing to see. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, it makes sense for in both of those cases, right? In the first case, it would make sense to do a lot of that research because just like there are professional appraisers in the art world, there will be people who make a living being really, really good at appraising kind of across projects on Abacus. And in the second case, if you're that community, you want to come in, you know, it's almost like doing an IPO roadshow. You want to come in and educate the people who are going to be appraising on why this is actually something that's very valuable and should be worth more because it makes the rest of your NFTs and your community more, more valuable. So both of those things like sound crazy, except for the fact that like they're kind of analogs in the kind of the traditional world. And that was and something really cool on both of those points is that in the first point of actually making a living on this stuff, like this honestly the amount that we that people can earn on this worked out way beyond my wildest dreams like the first session was with this ape like the first completed session was this ape and because it wasn't such high variance there were a lot more people that won i think there were like 19 winners and almost all of them at least earned at least 50 percent on the stake that they put in some of them earned 300 percent. some of them earned you know 400 percent then in the next one, which is the X copy, which was more, which was like a higher variant situation with 18 people, one guy earned 80 times his stake when he won. And then on the most recent one, one guy earned 21 times his stake and the other guy earned 25 times his stake. And so like, like I never thought it would be to that level, but, and I tweet about this almost as a joke, but it's the truth. Like you can make a lot of money by by appraising and by putting in these appraisals the internet is is the the best right like you can get really good at this incredibly particular thing and make a lot of money one because it's a very niche thing for right now but two because you're early and so it still will be high variance and there aren't a lot of like so it rewards all of these different very internet-y things like being early and going like really really deep down niches exactly and then on the second piece with the forgotten runes right with actually educating people after that after that session there was i I don't know what their name was but there was like someone who was managing some nft artist that actually came in and said hey what do i have to do to get the next slot i would love to use this as a platform to actually tell people and have people learn about what this nft is and what this collection is 
Dude, I was gonna I was gonna say to you, I was talking to somebody yesterday who has like a digital world. I won't say which one because I hope that this actually happens. But talking about the fact that like in the quote unquote metaverse right now, like there's not actually a lot of stuff to do. Like if you're in Decentraland, there's not a lot of stuff to do. Having appraisals kind of like in virtual worlds would be a really fun thing to do where you could have the artists come up and talk. You could do the appraisal. When we did Constitution Dow, like just going and watching the auction in a room with a bunch of people was really fun. I would imagine these appraisals are going to start becoming kind of appointment viewing. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, so one of it's actually funny that you say that because this project kind of started out as like an open source thing with like me sharing my screen in the discord with like four people that were in this community and like one or two of them watching and getting super excited and saying, Hey, how can I help? And like, so one of the people that was interested in it, he's very big in Decentraland like in, in just like spends a lot of time there makes like Decentraland clothing and everything. And so one of the early thoughts, and like, I still would hope that we do this is to like actually do exactly what you said, which is you actually create, you buy a plot of land in Decentraland and you actually create an, let's say a metaverse experience of going and appraising something. And you can just hang out there. The artist may come and do a showing and like, talk about it themselves or whatever they'd like to do, or, you know, whales can come and talk about it. You can have like a stage and everything. And like, that was like one of the original things that I really wanted to do once we got up and running was like, just expand to like this real experience of coming and, you know, even just like putting a slip in a box or something like that. Right. Like I think that would be so, so, so cool. And so once we get, you know, once we get further into this like core creation of it, I think that's like definitely a way that we want to, we want to kind of move in also. So to, to end this, I mean, the, the last question I want to ask, and I want to start doing this on this podcast more, cause I feel like incredibly fortunate to be able to talk to people who are building this wild shit that's going to happen in the future. <laughs> so like, let's zoom all the way out. If things go really, really, really well in like 10 years from now, across the spectrum from metaverse, physical world, whatever, like. What is Abacus doing and enabling? In 10 years from now, so the way I kind of, I guess I'll start with like a personal opinion and this kind of leads into like, you know, where I hope Abacus is. The way I view NFTs is like, it's great for this creator economy, but I think that's kind of pigeonholing the value of it because just like the value of an ERC-20 or any digital currency is the ability to move it at incredible speeds to anyone, anywhere in the world, at any time, with no restriction. That's unbelievable power. And so what does an NFT, an ERC-721 represent? Yes, right now it's majority representing art. But what does it really represent? It represents a unique asset. And what can fall under that? A diamond ring, a car, a building, a house, anything, even an apartment in your building, right? Anything can fall under this umbrella of what is an NFT. And so when you think in that way and you look, okay, but wait, I can transfer an NFT at that same speed and with the lack of restriction that I can transfer an ERC-20 token. That is what I think is so incredibly powerful about it. And so when you think, okay, this is like, okay, this is something, and that's where I think NFTs are going. My goal is that 
with Abacus, you can take any of those items. So for example, let's say you need a loan on your house. You can take it, get it appraised by Abacus. Hopefully by then we're, you know, we have experts of all kind because they've seen, oh, this is a, this is something where I could really, you know, make, make my money, right? Experts of all kind. And someone can say, you know what? I want an appraisal on my house. They could post, let's say a 3D tour of it. You know, even in this, they can create a metaverse equivalent or whatever they'd like where someone could walk through and do like an actual appraisal of it. And then they use that appraisal in 24 hours. In 24 hours, they came in with their house, with the NFT of their house, got an appraisal, and then let's say went to Aave or Compound or any other lending market that's out at that time and got a loan on their house in 24 hours. Right? Yeah, that's just not how it works today. That's, that's amazing. Just, that's not how it works at all. But like that's when you ask like, where is the goal? Where do I want Abacus to go? My goal is that you can do things like that through Abacus, right? You can take these NFTs and supercharge the liquidity you can get from them and the value you can get from them into that where no matter what it is, if you have, you know, your diamond ring that you need a loan on, right? You don't need to go to, let's say some loan shark and pay some crazy whatever because they can give you a loan in 24 hours. Instead, get it appraised and go get you know go get your loan in a system where you know you get it in a very easy manner and then that's it and so that's that's you know where i'd really love to see to see abacus in 10 years that's that's bad i I meant to end it there but my brain is just spinning (laughs) now like even as you think now about you know dow's coming together to buy things together and like how you pull resources across big groups of people I think right now it's really easy to do that because it's fun and early and people want the tokens and all of that. But over time, like to be able to say ahead of time, like, hey, we want to buy this thing together and here's what it's worth. So like, here's why we should be able to raise up to this amount of money. Like it actually makes it one step easier even to coordinate large groups of people, you know, purchasing things together. There's just a million different ways this could go. This is, I'm, I'm so pumped to be involved. This is fascinating. Medici, thank you so much for, for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. It was a pleasure. This is my first podcast. <laughs> no way. All right. So we will we'll make sure to spread it far and wide. <laughs> thank you. Have a good one, Packy. Wait till I get my money right. I had a dream I could buy my way to heaven. When I woke, I smit that on a necklace. I told God I'll be back in a second. Man, it's so hard not to act reckless. To whom much is given, much is tested. Get arrested, guess until he get the message. I feel the pressure under more scrutiny. And what I do, act more stupidly. Bought more jewelry, more Louis V. My mama couldn't get through to me. The drama, people suing me. I'm on TV talking like it's just you and me. I'm just saying how I feel, man. I ain't one of the Cosby's. I ain't go to hell, man. I guess the money should have changed them. I guess I should have forgot where I came from. Wait till I get my money right. And you can't tell me nothing, right? Excuse me, was you saying something? Uh-uh, you can't tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing. Uh-uh, you can't tell me nothing.